This past June, dozens of Success Academy students flooded out of their school onto a sidewalk in midtown Manhattan. They had ditched their success uniforms and were dressed all in black. They were here to send a message to their school's leadership and to the founder and CEO of Success Academy, Eva Moskowitz. These students grew up at Success Academy. Many of them have been with Success for a decade. And now they're in high school and they're mad. Eva Moskowitz, Eva Moskowitz has brainwashed us into thinking that what she's doing will better our opportunities and being successful. They're mad about new policies that their school enacted, policies that Success Academy believes will prepare them for college. A young woman stands on a concrete ledge, speaking into a red and white bullhorn. I live very, very, very far. I have to wake up at 5.30, and I have five other people living in my house. So when I wake up in the morning, I try to hurry everyone out of my house so I can be at school on time and I don't have any problems. The student says that Success Academy had threatened to hold her back a grade because she'd been late several times and had broken the dress code. But she was doing well in school. If I have a 92 as a GPA, what is the reason for holding me back? There's no legitimate reason. Now is the time to stand together more than ever against this group of, I'm not trying to be racist, but a group that's against a group of white people who yes! don't know what they're saying. Right. I need black teachers. I need black principals. And I need black deans who understand what I'm going through. Welcome to Startup. I'm Lisa Chow. That protest, it took place at the end of the last school year, a very tumultuous one at Success Academy's high school. It had been 12 years since the first batch of students enrolled in Success Academy, where they learned to read and write and sit in Magic 5 with their backs straight, hands folded, voices off. Those kids, they're teenagers now, and Magic 5 isn't working the way it used to. Everything that Eva has built culminates at the high school, where the stakes are highest, That's because high school is the final step to college. And back in 2006, Eva promised parents she'd get their kids into college. The high school is also the newest part of Success's network. Eva calls it the startup within the startup. This is Success's first run at high school. And so far, things are pretty chaotic. Speaking of which, there are a few bad words in this episode. In this past year, the high school has experienced some unlikely victories with its first graduating class, as well as some serious challenges as students, parents, and teachers confront the Charter Network's leaders. Over the course of the season, we've seen families come to success looking for a brighter future. Some have struggled, some have thrived, and some have left. Today, in the final episode of the series, we're gonna hear from the kids and families who have stayed at success, and we'll find out from them what it means to be successful at success. One of those students chanting and clapping at that protest was Bintu Sise. She started in kindergarten at success 11 years ago. Back then, success was just one school in Harlem, and Eva Moskowitz was its principal. She told our producer, Heather Rogers, about her earliest memory of Eva. I was walking into a science classroom in kindergarten, And I saw her walking down the hallway, and she fixed my book bag. I had it on. It was a little messed up. She fixed it, and she kept walking. So I was like, cool, Principal Moscow just fixed my thing. I was like, we're friends. (laughs) (laughs) So you you liked it? Yeah, it was a good encounter. Did you feel like she was sort of taking care of you? Yeah, I think that's why. 
Over her time at the school, Bintu has seen Eva working to build success. She cheered her on and later fought on her side. Everybody's like, oh, Ms. Moscow's is working so hard to open other schools. She's fighting the mayor of New York City, doing this, that, and the third. And we were like, yeah, go, Ms. Moskowitz. And we were like, mommy, Ms. Moskowitz is having another rally to, like, open up this school. Let's go to the rally, you know, just doing stuff, trying to help Success Academy build as, like, a school empire or whatever. In fifth grade, Bintu joined the debate team at Success. One topic up for debate was education reform. She realized those rallies she'd been going to for Eva were actually part of a larger movement. I was like, mm, education reform, this is cool. So many articles about Ms. Moskowitz and the school kept popping up. And I really didn't understand or know that Success Academy was that popular at that time. So when I saw so many articles, I was like, oh, so we got clout. That's cute. But then... Bintu started reading these articles more closely. And I just started seeing so many of these, like, articles and then, like, comments under it from, like, ex-teachers that had just had such terrible experiences working at the school and just, like, parents and stuff. And I was like, yo, I was like, this is so relatable. The articles and the comments readers left were about things like how much test prep students at Success did, the strict discipline and the pressure on teachers, things that Bintu had been living through but not fully seeing. Now, she was starting to have problems with the school that she used to fight for. Last year, Bintu got to 10th grade, and she started running into her old principal again. I think my worst moment at Success Academy was when... It was kind of, no disrespect to Dr. Moskowitz, but it was kind of when she entered into the high school, not going to lie. Last fall, Eva Moskowitz had started visiting the high school more often. Its first senior class was applying to college. And Eva was involved in that process. As she spent more time at the high school, Eva started noticing things about the culture there. It was a lot looser than the lower grades at Success. The high school principal had been trying to give the students more freedom, to get them ready to be more independent in college. But that led to things that concerned Eva. Kids were showing up late or with uniforms that weren't quite right. If students missed assignments, teachers would give them a lot of chances to make it up. And Eva didn't like that. A kid would be sent 10 emails. Reminder, sweetie, you got to fit to sweetie, sweetie, sweetie. They, they believe in like second and third and 10th chances and 20th chances. And frankly, they had gotten that. And it's done with the best of intentions, right? They, they're doing that because they love the kid and they don't want to see the kid fail. But it actually can have negative consequences if you don't teach the kids to be responsible. To Eva, this was particularly important because these kids were getting ready to go off to college. She thought rules should actually be clarified and tightened so kids left the high school with good work habits. There'd be no one in college who'd give them 20 chances to turn in their homework. And at this moment, there was pressure on Eva to get the high school right. Because success has opened new elementary schools almost every year since it started 12 years ago, every year it has more kids in the pipeline headed for high school. She had only 16 in this first senior class, 16 to get into college. The next year, about 30. The year after that, over 100. Eva plans to open nine high schools in the next decade to keep up with this growth. So she needs to figure out how to scale the high school and their college admissions process so they can deliver results on a much bigger scale. One weekend, we were at her house talking to Eva, and her son Culver asked her about this pressure. How many students do you have now in your high school? Like, uh, 350. Yeah. Like, how many are you going to have in five years? Like, 2,000, 3,000? 
I'm worried. It's a lot. (laughs) So Eva decided she needed to be there, on the ground in the high school, as all this growth was ramping up. In January, Eva, the CEO of the organization, set up a desk in the hallway just outside the principal's office and made herself dean of operations. And she gathered her staff and announced new harsh penalties for what seemed like minor infractions. For the next few weeks, four missing assignments or four absences or tardies could result in a student being sent back to the previous grade in the middle of the school year. That means ninth graders could be moved back to the middle school for being late four times. The penalties were brand new, okay? Mid-year holdover. I had never heard of such a thing. Natasha Venner was a teacher at the high school last year, and she was at the meeting when the new policy was announced. She taught at high schools for 10 years before coming to Success Academy, and these penalties seemed crazy. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. You're going to academically hold them over? Even, you're talking about kids who could literally have a 90 GPA and be held over for this. People were speechless. Eva's approach was basically a broken windows theory of education. If you start letting the small stuff slip, you end up with bigger issues. Missing homework and being late to school leads to not getting into college, not getting out of poverty. The policies started being enforced, and some have been to CSA's classmates felt the effects. Everybody was just getting in trouble, suspended. And I think seeing that was like, dang, that's really a wake-up call. Like, yo, this is crazy. And Eva kept shifting the school's policies, tightening enforcement, changing the punishment. She added dress code violations and misbehavior at dismissal to the list of offenses that were punishable with a holdover. Kids and teachers, their heads were spinning. As more and more students were told that they might have to go back to the previous grade, the student body grew increasingly frustrated. People just stopped doing homework at a certain point. People just started talking so much smack on Snapchat. People started arguing with their teachers. Then one morning, Bintu was in her homeroom, and the teacher put up a PowerPoint about yet another policy. A policy that Success says was already in place, but just wasn't being enforced. As the teacher took the class through the slides, Bintu stared back in disbelief. The policy banned non-religious head wraps, the kind that lots of students wore. It was like, bro, it was like they put it on the slides and literally just didn't know how racist it was. Bintu was especially frustrated by the explanation her teacher gave for this new policy. Like, oh, these headscarves are so distracting. Um, we think that they've become a very big problem, or blah, blah, blah. It's just like, to who? Literally to who? You need to know how important headscarves are to Black women and just Black people. The do-rags, the headscarves, like, that's how we preserve our hair and all that. Like, if my hair not done, you ain't going to see this hair, right? You ain't going to see it. It's not done. I ain't put no eco-style on it. It's not in a bun, no nothing. You ain't seeing it. It's going under a bonnet. You got to respect that, right? And if you don't understand how, like, culturally significant those things are and you just want to ban it because you deem it unprofessional, what's so unprofessional about headscarves? What is so unprofessional about do-rags? Because white people don't wear it in professional environments. Like, we're not white people. Stop trying to force us to be like it. For Bintu, this headscarf policy reinforced something she'd been feeling more and more during her years at Success. She and her classmates, almost all black and brown, 
would sit in classrooms while mostly white staff routinely corrected the way they were dressing, sitting, moving, speaking. Oh my God, I hate when leadership comes into the room while you're learning and you don't look professional and they're just like, sit up, blah, 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 fix your clothes. It's just like, oh my God, can we just learn? For Bintu, it wasn't just that the correcting got in the way of learning. It felt like her school had a very narrow view of what success looks like. I didn't come from a community where I had to change myself or like, assimilate to anybody else's culture. So to come to a school that says that I have to, that success looks like something different than who I am, I feel like is weird. I really, I think there's like another way around it. Like not being too optimistic, saying that I could go around being as ghetto as I want, but like, I don't be, I don't gotta become completely assimilated. We asked Eva about this feeling Bintu was experiencing. Some of the students have expressed this feeling like they're being taught to act white. And I'm wondering what your response to that is. I, I reject that. I mean, my kids are white and they're in the school. Eva's two younger children have been at success since kindergarten. They're now in the high school. And everybody's the same. It's a uniform school. We've been uniform since kindergarten. We're uniform now, no matter what constituency we serve. If we were to open up a school in Chinatown, it would be a uniform school. If we, you know, decided to open up a school in Iowa, it would be a uniform school. It's a school design. Even though Eva didn't think that race was a factor in the headscarf policy, Success did respond to the students' complaints. They announced that students could wear navy or gray non-religious scarves, but they continued to crack down on missing assignments, tardies, and other uniform infractions. By late January, a few weeks after Eva had moved into the school, the students decided they had to do something. And in fact, they took their inspiration from Eva. Ms. Mosquist doesn't like something, oh, you won't hear about it. She gonna have an interview with New York Times. She gonna talk her smack. She gonna go to Albany. She gonna tell them politicians right to their face, yo, this is how I want, and I'm not gonna leave till you tell me where and how to go. And that's exactly what's worked in the past. She asked me who I learned it from. I'd be like, you, Ms. Moskowitz. Bintu and her friends started organizing, planning logistics during lunch, writing emails to the student body. We were like, the revolution's coming. <laughs> and then we were like, nah, the revolution can't be coming. This is Success Academy, ain't no democracy. We just gotta follow what they do. I'm not gonna lie, I was really skeptical about doing it. I was like, yo, 10 years of just following what she does and we're about to like go against Eva Moscow. It's like, yo, how bold did we get? How bold? We find out after the break. Welcome back to Startup. Bintu Sise got to school one Friday morning, late last January. It had been a few weeks since Eva had set up shop in the high school and enacted those holdover policies. That morning, Bintu realized that something was up. Her classmates were treating her differently, like they were expecting something from her. Walking to the school building, people are just looking at me funny. I'm like, yes, what's the problem? And so people just come up to me like, yo, are you ready? Ready for what? People were like, Bintu, yo, that email was really powerful. I was like... I didn't send an email. And then so I checked my email, and it says, Success Academy Anonymous. The previous evening, an email had been sent to the entire student body from an anonymous email account. Dear Success Academy scholars, 
as you all know, the school has recently implemented several strict and unfair rules that most, if not all of us, disagree with. The email goes on to warn students against silence in the face of oppression and tells everyone that it's within their First Amendment rights to protest. It calls for all students to meet on the third floor of the high school at 8.30. Students went to their homerooms, but their eyes were not fixed on their teachers. They were staring at the clock. As soon as it hit 8.30, the kids were out the door. And we just went downstairs. And, like, everybody went downstairs. The students gathered on the third floor like the email had said. Then, well, they didn't know what to do next. The email hadn't said anything about that. So the crowd made a game-time decision. Literally just hear a bunch of people saying, Bintu, Bintu. The crowd started chanting Bintu's name. She had a reputation for not being afraid to speak her mind. Now they were looking to her as a leader. Plus... They knew she had debate skills. And I'm like, dang, like, yo, y'all always throwing me under the bus. At first I was like, nah, I'm just going to act like I don't hear it. But at a certain point, I couldn't act like I didn't hear it. Like, it was just mad people yelling. So I got up, and then people started cheering, and I was like, look, man, hopefully these debate skills are going good, because I don't know how I'm going to, like, finesse this speech I'm about to give. One of the school administrators came up to Bintu and asked her to tell the kids to go back to class. And then people were just like, so you gonna let him talk to you like that? And I was like, uh-uh. And I was like, we're not leaving until we speak to Ms. Moskowitz. Two kids came down in that little office that I was working out of and said, would I come up and speak to the protesters? So I said, of course, (laughs) I'm not afraid of protests. I'm not afraid of kids. I'm not, of course. You know, when you hear that, the click of the heels walking down the hallway, like, imagine if you just close your eyes and you just hear that click, 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 click. Eva Moskowitz walked around the corner wearing her signature stiletto heels. It, it kind of felt like, like, you know Nicki Minaj, where she's kind of like, the queen is here. Like, that's the kind of the vibe that Ms. Moskowitz was giving me, but kind of the queen is here. It's like, kind of, what do you want? Very walking, like, everything got so serious. What did you see when you got there? I mean, it was a, a large number of kids sort of uh, sitting on the floor. It seemed fine. You know, if it, it looked like an assembly. The crowd got quiet, waiting for Bintu to speak, which normally isn't hard for her. But given the circumstances, she was feeling nervous. Talking to the CEO, like, on a face, like, face-to-face about, like, oh, the next, like, dance performance, whatever, cool. But, like, talking to the CEO about how you hate her policies and how you think she should run her school is something that's, like, on a whole nother level. Bintu took a moment, gathered herself, and then went for it. She said these new policies were hurting kids, They seemed contrary to the goals of lifting up students and making sure they had bright futures. Students cheered and clapped. When Bintu finished talking, everyone turned to Eva. It's kind of like the moment of truth, what you gonna say now, Eva? Because it's not even still like the press saying it no more, it's your own students. So it's like, what you gonna say now? You know, and I said, generally, and I explained that, look, I actually do have a lot of experience protesting, and I don't just go and protest Bill de Blasio. I have many, many communications where I say, you know, please, Mr. Mayor, I would really like space for the children, and here's what you promised us. And, you know, there's not, you don't generally go from zero to 180, and that maybe the order could have been a little different. When she started, the seniors were just looking around like, is she serious? 
Like, even some of them started whispering in my ear, yo, Benzo, just cut her off. Because I was like, yes, we need to cut her off, because what are you talking about? The students didn't want protesting advice. They wanted a real response to their complaints. Things started to get personal. Students brought up Eva's kids and how they were not affected by the policies in the same way. It really started turning into, like, a hate fest for Ms. Moskowitz. After we got our points across, it kind of just started being like, yeah, we're about to take shots at her, who's speaking next type thing. And I was just like, yo, we're ODing right now. Like, we're just such brats right now. Like, we're really about to just ignore everything she's done. Seeing things get out of hand, a few students went upstairs to ask the teacher, Natasha Venner, to intervene. I came out of the stairwell, and I was like, guys, this is not the way that y'all are shouting at this point in time. You're, you're not being clear and what you actually want, and she can't. She doesn't know what to address. This is not the way to handle this. It's like, you guys got to go to class. The kids trusted Natasha, so they took her advice. They ended the protest. While most of them went back to class, a handful stayed and worked on a list of demands. They sent those to the administration. Two weeks later, Success sent out an email with new rules. It would take a lot more tardies and uniform infractions to get in trouble, and the punishment would be a lot less severe suspended for a day instead of held back a grade. Also, success allowed students to wear any color headscarves again. Eva didn't see things the way the kids did on the headscarf issue, but she also didn't feel it was worth the fight. If the kids feel it's racially insensitive, I don't think it was or is. Um, you know, you could say girls need headbands regardless of race or ethnicity. Um, um, we we made the decision that if kids were interpreting it that way, even though we didn't think it was, and it was that important to them, we should let them wear it. These concessions were big. The kids got a lot of what they asked for. On paper, it seemed like things should be better. But in the weeks and months following the protest, kids were still unhappy. They felt like all these changes in policy were part of a larger cultural change at the high school. Before, they'd felt a level of freedom, of trust. They felt heard. Many thought of the principal as their friend. Now, school seemed more about following rules, and the protest hadn't changed that. Our producer, Sindhu Nyanasambandan, asked Bintu Sise about this. What happened to the revolution? Revolution is gone. It just fizzled out, or what? It fizzled out. People, people couldn't do it no more. We have deliverables their responsibilities, and we can't let revolutionists get in the way of that. In the months following the protest, Eva shifted her attention from the behavioral policies to the academic requirements. She started a class in which kids had to write their personal statements for college. We heard from three former staff from the high school that if students failed that one class, they were told they could be held back a grade. And Eva was changing graduation requirements like specifying minimum scores kids had to get on standardized tests. Eva thought those scores would help them get into better colleges. But to students, it felt like every week the school was expecting something different from them. They were living in the chaos of a startup. Those rules that were constantly changing in Silicon Valley, they call that iterating. But in this case, the iterating is affecting kids' lives in pretty profound ways. Yo, they, they change everything every five seconds. Like a change in academic requirements, expectations, policies, everything is just constantly changing. It really makes you want to break down. People literally walk around the hallway crying. Like at a certain point, you have the most smartest students just like, yeah, I'm out. 
Bintu says everyone was depressed. She searches her phone for texts with the word depression. Hold on, let me try and command F depression. 180 matches. Next time I go see the school, I'm going to have depression. I need to go. I'm depressed by so fucking my depression and anxiety start lifting at this assignment. I have severe depression, diagnosed with severe depression. You have a cure for depression. Everyone is depressed. Back to being depressed. Depressed. Bintu says she has a lot of friends who want to leave to get out. When you sit down and have a conversation with them, you'd be like, yo, I fucking hate this school. It's just like, damn. I'm like, yo, bro, why don't you leave? She was like, I don't got a choice, bro. We don't got money like that. And that's the thing that people don't understand. Like, it's not as easy to leave Success Academy as it is. Like, we really have nothing beyond the school. But the trade-offs are terrible. We've spoken to several teachers who told us they are concerned about the emotional well-being of students at the high school. Here's Natasha Venner again. I had never seen that amount of stress in a building before. Like, kids were crying hysterically. I can't do it. I'm overwhelmed. You know, I called parents in the middle of the day when kids were hyperventilating. She says she would love to see Eva succeed, create a pipeline getting students of color to great colleges. Her problem is that she thinks success celebrates its students' academic performance, but doesn't acknowledge that they might also be struggling emotionally. I think that people keep writing these kids off because they're like, oh my God, they're doing well, get over it. Would they tell white kids who were doing well to get over it? I don't think so. If a white kid, and I know this, I taught in the suburbs. I've taught at a high school where the kids were on MTV Cribs and my Sweet 16 party and like poor is a $100,000 salary. My, oh God, your mom only makes $100,000 a year. I've taught at that school, okay? If any of those white kids at that school had said they had problems, all hell would have broke loose, right? The PTA would not have allowed it. There's no way that my admin team could do the things that happened at Success Academy. Wow. This couldn't have happened at my rich white affluent school, but it can happen at my Title I high-performing minority school in New York City. That's crazy. So Natasha took her concerns to Success Academy's board of directors. When I filed a complaint with the network, I said that it was a civil rights issue. And I sincerely still believe that it is a civil rights issue. You would not have done this to white kids. You wouldn't have. The board said they would look into it. We brought some of these concerns to Eva, that the chaos at the high school is making kids stressed out, unhappy. Did she see any of that? I think it's very stressful when the rules change. Um, now, having said that, junior year of high school, it's, it's a stress ball. Um, you know, getting ready for college and handing in that application and getting the common app, it, it is somewhat stressful. I think our kids don't have much of a comparison. If you go to any elite private school, the kids are working pretty hard. Our kids are actually working less hard uh, than, than those kids. But that's the only... say that those kids also have lives outside of school that are less stressful? Well, I, I don't know. Teenage... Uh, teenage... Poverty, just, I mean, in terms of yeah. just... I, I, I think our kids, though, get a lot of opportunities to... Um, 
they do have lives outside of school, both on the, you know, uh, they're in theater and they're playing sports and they're in dance performances. And, you know, I, I don't, Look, I've got two teenagers at home and they both go to the same school and one is more stressed than the other, so different kids react differently. Back when Eva started Success, she told her teachers and school leaders, don't expect any less from our kids than you would from rich white kids. Our kids can do anything those kids can. It's an empowering kind of idealism. That same kind of idealism, though, can also make you blind to people's realities. Reality is like Bintu Cisse's. She lives with her mom and two siblings in public housing. She says her mom has had serious health issues, almost died when Bintu was in sixth grade. By the time she got to high school, Bintu felt like success ignored the challenges that many students face outside of school. At the same time, Bintu has excelled at success, this place of high expectations. She's had access to some amazing resources, a debate program she loved, college counseling, summer programs at Ivy League schools. And that has shaped the way she looks at her future. I want to go to Harvard and major in political science and hopefully mine in like African or Africana studies. I want to go to law school after that, probably at Yale University, and then join a law firm, be a lawyer, be a congresswoman, you know, mayor, governor, hopefully president one day. You know, I always wanted to be the youngest congresswoman, but people keep just, like, doing it. Like, currently, I forgot who's in Congress now, but she's, like, the youngest congresswoman, and she's 28. I'm like, yo, like, why? <laughs> like, now I have to be younger than that. I don't think that's possible. But anything's possible, though. Yeah. That's what Ms. Moskowitz told us. If you didn't catch that, Bintu just said, anything is possible. That's what Ms. Moskowitz told us. This dream of going to a top college, pursuing a career, lifting your family up, this was Eva's original mission. And this is also why Bintu is willing to make these trade-offs. Can success deliver on its promise to help students like Bintu get into great colleges? That's after the break. Welcome back to Startup. A couple of months before Bintu Sise confronted Eva Moskowitz at the protest, Success's very first senior class was applying to college. Mokhtar Fall started at Success Academy back in 2006, in the school's very first year. He became a senior at Success last year. And according to his principal, Andy Malone, he wasn't just any senior. I mean, Mokhtar is the best human being alive. He's just one of those kids that give so much of himself and you know he deserves everything that comes his way unquestionably Mokhtar and his classmates were encouraged to aim high to shoot for the very best universities Mokhtar decided to apply early to MIT because as he told our producer Molly Messick he knows exactly what he wants to do with his life he wants to become an engineer I know I know I want to do like something around planes because I also love planes if I really, really, really love Boeing or Lockheed, then I go into Core 16 or Aero Astro or Aeronautical Engineering after, yeah. That's, that's pretty specific. Yeah. You've, got it, you've got a pretty clear idea of what you're interested in. Yeah. Andy Malone says Mokhtar was a model student at Success. He had great grades, 
but also gave a lot of himself to the success community. He was kind to everyone, from his teachers to the custodial staff. When he arrived at school in the morning, Andy says he'd wave with both hands and a big grin on his face. You know, if he didn't get in wherever he wanted to go, it just really felt like there was no justice in the world. I think it was that big for so many of us. Truly, like it really, it really felt like it hinged on him in some ways because if he couldn't get in, like it would just be so unfair. And of course, his dream is MIT with its like 4% admission rate. <laughs> and it's MIT, like, you know. The chances of getting into a school like MIT are already slim. And Mokhtar is not the typical MIT candidate. He's Black. He grew up poor. He was raised by a single immigrant mom. But Success thinks kids like Mokhtar should be able to go to MIT. That kids like Bintu should be able to go to Harvard. Mokhtar getting in would be proof that Success's bold experiment was working. And it would also be a dream come true for his mother, Nimu Yai. Nimu moved to New York City when she was 23. She's originally from Senegal in West Africa. Our producer, Heather Rogers, talked to her about growing up there. What do you miss about it? I miss everything. My life was beautiful there. I didn't come here to stay here a long time. I just came for study, and I met my husband here. I have kids. Nice day. The way they say, if you make your bed, you have to lay down on it. That's what happened to me. Nimu's life in the U.S. has been hard. She had to quit school to work. And she left her husband. So she had to support Mokhtar and his two younger sisters by herself. Money's been tight. At one point, the family ended up homeless and lived in shelters for two years. I don't have nothing here. I just have my kids, and I try to survive like everybody. Nimu wanted her children to do more than survive, which meant finding a good school for them to go to, one that would get them into college. And she trusted Eva Moskowitz to do this. I know this lady, when she says something, she's going to do it. Because this lady, she's a fighter. I love people who fight. You fight for what you believe in, I'm behind you 100%. And I just believe on her. Over these past 12 years, Nimu has tied her hopes for her son's future to Eva's startup school. The education that Mokhtar has gotten, what do you think that's going to bring to him in his life? It's not only him. Him, his family, and people who need help outside. That's the way the stuff have to go. It's like a circle. He's going to help himself. He will help me and my family. And if somebody needs help around somewhere else, he will do it. I know my kid. Mokhtar was supposed to hear back from MIT on December 14th. That morning, his mom could barely hold herself together. All day I didn't eat. All day I didn't go nowhere. I, was, I wasn't busy that day. I just said to her and wait. Did, did you know, Mokta, that she was as nervous as you were, or maybe more nervous than you were about finding out about MIT? Yeah. I was also, like, really nervous throughout. Um, but, like, I put it in the back of my head again. But you didn't show it to me. I'm the one who show everything. Mokta, do you get something? No, mommy. <laughs> Mokta, 
Mokhtar went to school that day, stomach turning. He got through his classes and then headed to his principal Andy's office. A lot of the kids wanted to find out in my office. That was like the popular spot. <laughs> um, and so a lot of us were in there for this moment. And we knew he was finding out at six, I think, the portal was going to be updated. And so we were in the office, hunched over the laptop. You know, I remember saying to him, whatever happens, you're still the best. That's exactly what I said, actually. You're still the best. Um, were you feeling nervous? I was so nervous. <laughs> I was especially nervous because so many people were there. You know, that was going to make it, if it was bad, it was going to be worse for that reason. But if it was great, it was going to be better for that reason. There was like a click, and then there was another page before you got the decision. So we were like all geared up, and then it was like some nonsense. He clicked. Said congratulations. He got a big guttural scream. Yes. We cheered. Um, and everybody just went crazy. Yeah, it was really big. When the phone rang, say, Mommy, Mommy, I'm in. I say, What? And I was screaming. I couldn't stop myself. He walked for it. I couldn't, I, it looked like I'm the one who get in. I couldn't, even when I walk outside, it looked like I walk on the, I walk on the air, I don't walk on the, and I say, oh my, you gotta, you gotta put yourself down and just be humble like your son. But I was so proud. I was so happy. This was a huge win for Eva, for Success Academy. Every teacher, staff member, student was ecstatic. Somebody had come into the classroom and yelled so loud, Mokhtar got into MIT, and the whole classroom just started cheering. Bintu Sise told our producer Sindhu Nyanasambandan about that day. Teacher didn't really care. We were just all so happy. How did you feel? Like, I felt like I, my brother was going to college. Like, it felt like a family, like my brother was actually going to college. It wasn't just Mokhtar who got into his dream school. His classmate, Kelvin, got into Tulane. Another, Sunil, got into Emory. Michael, Tufts. Namuche, Skidmore. Elijah got into USC. Hazel, Grinnell. Aida, Wake Forest. Every single one of the graduating seniors got into college, and all of them got scholarships. Some got a lot of money, like Mokhtar, who got a full ride to MIT. The good news of these college acceptances could keep some of the kids going, but for a lot of the adults who worked at the high school, the celebratory moment didn't wipe away their stress. At the end of the school year, the entire college counseling team quit. The principal, Andy Malone, announced he was leaving. And many teachers, including Natasha Venner, followed suit. I couldn't hack it. I mean, when it's all said and done, hacking it as success would have mean not caring so much about the kids. She said she couldn't reconcile caring about the kids with enforcing policies she believed were wrong. What are we doing? I don't want to have grit about being at a school that's becoming the obstacle to the kids. And that's why I think the teachers left. All of our teachers left. Literally every single teacher left, except for like four. 
and then like even more of them left this year so now we only have like three og teachers and then like an entirely new staff bintu is exaggerating but there was a lot of turnover according to the wall street journal out of 67 staff only 20 returned to the high school this year what do you think about that bro literally we were like yo who we gonna go to when we need to like apply for colleges and we need letters of recommendation like i can go to my economics teacher but i've only known him for two weeks Eva attributed many of the teachers leaving to a change in school leadership. Eva had faced criticism from students in the form of protest, teachers in the form of resignations, and now parents wanted to be heard too. A lot of these parents had been with success for a decade. They'd fought battles for Eva, gone to protests and rallies, defended the school and followed the rules. But after this chaotic year, some of them had questions and wondered if all of this anxiety their kids were experiencing was worth it. They met with Eva one morning in the high school auditorium. We have a recording from someone who attended this meeting. Parents took turns telling Eva how worried they were about what was happening with their kids. We feel guilty. We are alarmed. We don't know what to do. We push our kids. We do. We're going to follow course. I'm a conformist. What is my kid's responsibility? And I'm going to do it. But our kids are getting embarrassed. Our kids are freaking out. The parent points to the harsh way she's seen teachers talk to kids. And she worries about the emotional impact it may have. She says what's at the heart of these issues is the culture at success. But there is this mean culture. It's not always the teachers, but it is in the fabric. Right, of our school system. The mother says she's tried to talk to teachers about this. And let me tell you what our, our teachers say, the ones that you employ, the ones that we trust. If you don't like it, leave. That is what... If you don't like it, leave. The parents say it together in unison. Eva responds by saying she sees lots of loving and nurturing relationships. But of course, she's the CEO and isn't in schools all the time cannot be in every room. And it is true that rookie teachers have challenges to know the difference between um, meanness and firmness. To me, those are two different things. A few more parents bring up the mental health of their kids. One mom says that her stepson has no nails because he has chewed them down to the bed. And her daughter has had four breakdowns. Eva admits there are problems. She says in all her years at Success, she has never seen a school in the network that has been more disorganized than the high school. She also says part of the angst is typical teenage adolescence. The parents say, no, Eva, this is not normal. So you can correct the kid, but you got you to gotta correct the culture. That's what I think we're saying. There's something in our culture. The parents also say that the academic expectations on their kids are a black box. The requirements keep changing on the kids. Eva has an answer for this. She says it's because she's never done this before. We are a startup, and I feel like I have been transparent about that. We were making it up, yes. I'm not pretending to know how to do it. Eva didn't come into this knowing how to get kids into top universities. How did you know the college I didn't know that there were 66 colleges that met financial need. I didn't know what the SAT scores were that the kids had to get. 
you can hear the pleading in Neva's voice. Yes, things are a mess, but it's because success is a startup. She has the best of intentions, and she's working really hard to fix it. And this is what a startup does. It experiments, it screws up, it tries new things, it iterates over and over again. With time, Eva believes she can fix these problems. But the parents, whose kids are in the middle of all this experimentation, they believe this is a culture problem, a problem with success's norms, expectations, and personality. And you can't iterate out of a culture problem. No matter how many times you iterate, your DNA is always the same. At the beginning of June, Success's very first class of students graduated from high school. The ceremony was held in an elegant concert hall at Lincoln Center. Eva is standing on stage wearing a bright floral dress and black patent leather stilettos. The 16 graduating seniors have blue caps and gowns with orange tassels, the school colors. School leaders, including the outgoing high school principal, Andy Malone, sit on the stage behind her, beaming. The crowd is going wild. Please take your seats. Thank you for joining us on this momentous occasion, celebrating our first graduating class from Success Academy High School of the Liberal Arts. Eva addresses her founding parents. Parents and families, you entrusted us with your children. Andy and I have a contest of how long we can go without crying. It's a little challenging. (laughs) You entrusted us with your children 12 years ago. We had no school building. We had no principals. We had not hired any teachers. And I, frankly, did not know what I was doing. But I had a vision for an excellent school that could be achieved where every single kid not only learned to read, but loved reading, where we would teach science five days a week. This was Eva's dream, and she built it. She created a school system from scratch. In just 12 years, she's grown from zero to 47 schools, serving 17,000 kids a school system with unprecedented performance on state tests. And there is something incredible about that. After Eva's speech, the seniors begin walking across the stage. Aida T. Baffley. Sunil Josephine Jeter. Mukhtar N. Fall. For these 16 graduating seniors, they've beaten the odds and will be entering a world filled with opportunities that they likely wouldn't have had without Success Academy. The last time we spoke with Eva Moskowitz, I asked her, was all this worth it? The 12 years of battling unions, politicians, the media, work days that never end. She said, you'd have to ask the parents and kids. They're the ultimate judges. And over the year we've worked on this story, we have. One mother told us success has given her daughter an incredibly strong academic foundation and rich learning experiences outside of the classroom. But she says her daughter now asks teachers for permission to do basic things. When she left success and started going to a regular public school this fall, 
She wouldn't eat her snack or speak in class unless her teacher said it was okay. Another mother, whose son is currently in middle school at Success, says she loves all the care and attention his teachers give him and their regular communication with her. But she also thinks school becomes boring during test prep, and she's worried about him being held back. These are two of the dozens of stories we've heard. Every family has to weigh the trade-offs for themselves. Maybe these emotional and social costs that families are paying, maybe those are the costs of catapulting over the vast achievement gap. Success Academy is an escape route for a lot of families whose options are grim. Given the inequity in schools and society more generally, it does feel important that families have an escape route. It also feels important that if they use it, they go in with their eyes wide open. Startup is hosted by me, Lisa Chow. This episode was produced by Sindhu Nyanasambandan with Heather Rogers, Bruce Wallace, and Molly Messick. Editing by Emmanuel Berry, Sarah Saracen, and Caitlin Kenny with help from Kareem Maddox, Wallace Mack, and Jorge Just. Fact-checking by Michelle Harris. Special thanks to Seth Andrew, Emily Weiss, Sammy Politziner, Nathan Pierboom, Leopold Rogers, Ivona Stamatoska, Alyssa Weeks, Deshaun and Dominic Weeks, Nazir Jones, Lizette Lazan, Jake Herrera, Rob Zipko, Paul McIntosh, and Aletia Maddox. Our theme song is by Mark Phillips. Build Buildings Roan performed our special ad music. Cedric Wilson mixed the episode, and Peter Leonard composed original music for the series. For full music credits, visit our website, gimletmedia.com startup. Thanks for listening. 